Reinforced Running Podcast. One day I'm going to figure out how to come in on, on this beat with like flow, but right right now I don't know how to do that, so I'm just going to like talk and as it goes. Um, this week we have Ashley Heller who comes on to the podcast and it is like really good, like so good. And so Ashley is a Spartan pro, a coach uh, amongst other things, but she's also a deep thinker about the sport and has a ton of great insight about performance. So we do a deep dive in on the mental aspect of training which actually has spent a lot of time really honing in on her own practice as well as helping other athletes that she coaches. So a ton of great value here. And so in the episode, we talk about some mental training tactics that can help your performance, why you need a broad plan that is adaptable along the way and how to systematically work on your weaknesses. And it's also worth noting that this was recorded before the uh, Spartan U.S. National Series race in Jacksonville. So we don't know uh, what happened that day. Um, but as you're listening to it now, those results are already concluded. Um, so we don't talk about the race at all. But uh, we'll get into it. So, But before we do, if you like the show, please rate and review. Um, and if you don't like the show... That's fine too. And also make sure to check out the one-on-one coaching page for runners and obstacle course athletes with the link in the show notes to see if you would be a good fit for the coaches here at Reinforce Running. All right, here is Ashley Heller. Welcome to the Reinforce Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. I'll be your host today. Our guest today is Ashley Heller. What's going on? Hey, how's it going? Oh, so good. <laughs> How was your day so far? I'm busy. I've had a workout and then a Skype session, and now I'm talking to you. So, so your good. days are your days are typically busy, though, right? Like I don't, I feel like you kind of make things work when as much as possible. Um, yeah, that's a that's a thing. My day is very regimented, like by the hour. So <laughs> I pretty much make a plan, and then I have to stick to that plan. Otherwise, I miss stuff. So. For sure. And then when you pack, when you pack so much stuff in, it's good to be, have organization around. And I do want to talk about kind of how you prioritize things with life and training, but first I have like a couple of random questions for you. So are you ready? Are you ready for them? I'm ready. All right, cool. What is your favorite genre of music? Oh, um, country. I live in Idaho. <laughs> is, that, is that, is that a requirement? Is that well, how it Kind of. It's assumed, I guess, maybe. Um, no, I grew up in Western Oregon and my family just always listened to country. So like basically from the early nineties on, I have like every song memorized in the history ever in country music. Who who's your your number one? Do you have like a, uh, a artist? Yeah, my favorite is Sugarland. They broke up for a while and then now they're back together, but I haven't heard any of their new stuff yet. So I'm really excited for that to come out. When is there a projected date when it's gonna release? I'm not like that much of a super fan, so you're I don't not, know. You're, you're a semi fan. <laughs> yeah. But what, what's her name? Jennifer Nettles, is that? Yeah, Jennifer Nettles. And then she, the guy, I don't know his name, though. Less important. But less she can important. really, really sing. So uh, yep. I'll give you props on that. And I didn't know, I, I didn't realize that it was only country there, but I guess. <laughs> well, it's not only country. That's just like my first three presets in my car. So. And then, like, if you press seek, it's the next three as well. Like, not even the presets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Some country honky tonk. All right. So what is the worst job you've ever had? Oh, man. Um, I, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> uh, a car salesman. No way. Yeah, I sold cars for a while. That was, new a, ones? That was, that was a rough time. Yeah, new ones. 
that was an easier sell than well we had we had used cars too um yeah that was rough that was that was a bad time financially for us but we're good now we're good <laughs> that job is straight up high pressure and it's uh, not even from the consumer's aspect but i know just like quotas and it's never ending and it's just really it seems really hard was it super stressful um it was really stressful and you have to put in so many freaking hours it was that part was exhausting um yeah lots of hours and it's definitely a man's world and so like that was an advantage but also a disadvantage at the same time like depending on customer bases like i was pretty good at it like i sold to a lot of women because i was less uh intimidating i guess as a salesperson but then it was harder to sell to men because that social stigma that i don't know what i'm talking about which was really frustrating for me Um, um and i definitely got real mad at some people for that I but yeah, yeah <laughs> car like men and cars it's just kind of one of the like synonymous i didn't even think about that from the beginning but like guys are like oh i'm i'm a masculine guy i've known cars since i was a little kid like how right. you tell what me you know? about a car exactly um, yeah that, I mean, but going through doing a hard sales job like that has so much value um in the moment, it's terrible. Like I've had a couple really bad. I've had a couple phone sales jobs that have just like ruined my life for a while. <laughs> yeah. And, but, like you come out with thick skin when people tell you to F off like every day. It's just like, true. Does not bother you. You're just like, whatever. That's your stuff, not mine. Bye. Yeah. And, and like you kind of have to tell yourself that or you will just have a really poor outlook on humanity. It's like, no, nope, I'm okay. True. I'm fine. Well, I'm glad yep. you don't do that anymore. So <laughs> how long did you do it? Um, well, not quite a year, not terribly long. That's pretty long. I'm sure turnover is ridiculous with that. Oh yeah. I saw so many people come and go. And then it was funny because like all the managers would like bet on people and it was kind of sad actually. They gave me a long, yeah, they gave me a long time. So they said, I don't think I lasted as long as they thought I would. Uh, I had an opportunity to do what I'm doing now. So I took it. For sure. Cool. But that worked out. Um, if you could live in any sitcom, which one would it be? Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't really watch a lot of TV. That's the sad part. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that's not sad. That's actually probably better, more productive. Probably, probably something from the 90s because that's when I watched TV. <laughs> like Friends, Seinfeld. Ooh, maybe Seinfeld. Seinfeld would be funny. I, I wouldn't even like necessarily want to be in their friend group, but like maybe just a fly on the wall in the coffee shop. Like a reoccurring character, like a putty or like a more, or is that too close? Or you, just or you like, just an, wanna, like an you extra in the background. The, yeah. Like sitting in the diner while they're in it. Like you just want to be there. Like live in yeah, New York. Just like listening to it and stuff. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. Um, <laughs> what is your least favorite sport to play? Uh, golf. That's an easy answer. Don't tell my husband. Do you, do you go out and try to play? Um, okay, so I'm, this is going to sound really arrogant, but I'm I'm pretty decent at most things I try, mm-hmm. um, except golf. That's the one thing that I'm just like really bad at. Um, I find it absolutely infuriating. I don't have the patience, and so like then I get mad and I swing my club around and hit myself in the ankle, and then like <laughs> keel over. Like that may or may not have happened. In real life, um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's just like, I mean, it could happen. Here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's, but it's not that I hate it. I like being out there and stuff, but I don't, it's hard for me to, 
to move that slowly. It's so boring. Yeah. It's really, really <laughs> boring. I, I relate to every single word you just said. Like, I think it is so infuriating. It takes so much time to practice. Yeah. And so like the, the bent, like you get, you get better so slowly, you just suck for forever and it's expensive and it takes a long time. Yep. Have you All seen, have you seen there's like a, I don't know exactly what they call it. It's like speed golf, but like you hit, I think you, whoever gets done with the round first. So like you hit it and you run with your clubs and then you just, I could be good at that. I could I'm, be good at that. I think that would be fine as well. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, would definitely ruin all the social aspect of the sport, but but the competitive to, part not so much. I'm trying to go fast. I'm not trying to go slow like that. Yeah, when I was in high school, my best friend actually, which is ironic, my best friend golfs a lot, and my husband golfs a lot. Um, but she would take me a couple times, and I would just get so frustrated. It became a matter of I could throw the ball, and she would hit the ball, and then oh, I would like really? play in a little creek and with the frogs and stuff, and then she'd be like, "Come on!" And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> so, this is, so it's not like you've just started trying this this is something that you knew oh, um, yeah. like what's a was an issue long time yeah ago. <laughs> no i don't i don't i can't imagine many ocr athletes are, are golfers as well so they don't like the opposite thing yeah it's just too slow so slow mm-hmm. um cool and so if you could pick up a certain skill <laughs> instantly other than golf what would it be i wouldn't be golf <laughs> Definitely not. That, you don't. You don't even want to be out there. I don't even. Nah. I mean, I'll drive the cart around. That's cool. Um, uh, well, right now, I would say to learn to play the piano, but I'm learning currently, so that's the first thing that pops up on my mind. I just started lessons a couple weeks ago. Um, but if I could just, you know, be like really good at it to start with, that'd be cool. That'd be great. And what is? <laughs> What is, what sparked that? Is that just something trying to learn <clears throat> new, or are you particularly musical? Um, no, yeah, maybe. Um, I grew up playing. Oh, don't tell people this. You're uncovering a lot about me that people don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I wait now. Gotta go I in. I was in band when nice. I was in high school, and then I was in a quintet um, with a violinist, an oboist, a piccolo, and two flutes. Um, so I played the flute mm. for a long time, like until I was like a senior in high school. <laughs> and then uh, I stopped doing that for a long time. But uh, I don't know. It was just something new, um, something to focus on. I have always wanted to play. It just sounds so pretty, I guess. And also, I I really like the aspect of like something new and something challenging where I can like hone in my focus. And then all of those extra outside stressors that I do have kind of dissipate. So like I can, cause I'm so new at it. I have to only focus on that. You know what I mean? So it's like a, a way to get lost without getting lost. No, I know exactly what you mean. I think that's great. Like, <laughs> it seems like it's very mentally stimulating yeah. and at the same time as producing something that's enjoyable, um, right. uh, which I think is awesome. Do, do you find the flute, like your background in music, does it translate at all? Like, can you read music or is it just a whole different <clears throat> new thing? I don't play any instruments. Oh uh, yeah. Kind of. So, uh, the flute's a treble instrument, so you like in piano. There's two bars. You have the treble and clef, right? So I could read the top part, uh, the bottom half. I'm learning because I haven't had to use like the whole music because flute's higher octaves, right? So you play just higher notes. Um, so I've had to. I guess I could read music, but I guess in terms of piano, only half of it. Mm. But it's easy to adapt. 
It is. It's not like you're at a disadvantage. Like you don't have to like unlearn what you know mm-hmm. and, and then start from scratch. No, I'm just basically adding a little bit to it. Okay, cool. I like that. And do you have a piano or are you just doing like keyboard? I have a piano. Yes. Yeah. I went and bought one. Nice. Really? You're like, I'm doing this. <laughs> yeah. But it's a digital one. So you can put headphones in so you can't hear how bad I am to start. And then I'll be like, hey, Cody, listen. And then I'll unplug it and play it. <laughs> once you're, you're perfectly good. Yeah. <laughs> I, am. I instantly picked up this skill. Listen, listen how good I am. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Sweet. Well, that was it. So you did awesome. Um, and from here, could you just kind of fill in listeners a little bit about who you are as a person, as a coach, as an athlete, and just tell us about yourself a little bit. Yeah. So I do a lot of stuff. I'm one of those people that if I'm not busy, I'm bored. So I tend to pack my life full of lots of things. Um, so <clears throat> currently my name is Ashley. Um, <laughs> and I, <laughs> it's <Hello. covered> that. <laughs> I, uh, So I guess what I do, um, my husband and I run a real estate business. We manage a team of 22 agents. Um, And then I also do some coaching on the side. Um, I'm also a professor, an adjunct professor at the local junior college here. And I teach three different courses, depending on what the schedule is. Uh, I currently have 96 students. Wow. I know. Are they real estate-based courses or what are the courses? No. So, um, okay, so my background, I have a math a bachelor's degree in exercise science with a minor in business administration, psychology, and leadership. It's a lot of words. Um, and then I have a master's of science in kinesiology with a biophysical emphasis. Yeah. So I'm a professor in the health science department. So I teach health and wellness and then I teach, uh, stress management, which is ironic. And then I also teach a class called the science of speed, which is like a biomechanics based course. So all that nerdy stuff. Nice. That is awesome. And were you, (laughs) When you found your way into real estate, were you working in the uh, fitness field or before that? Or how did you kind of? Yeah, kind of. So I ran, I managed a gym for a really long time. Mm. Um, and then that kind of got, became a bad situation. Um, it got bought out and new management came in. And then the expectation was becoming more on, um, so I was like a middle, in middle management position, um, which is the worst but <laughs> so emphasis became more on sales and money rather than helping people. And that didn't align with my goals. And so then I left. Oh, and they gave me a significant pay cut because we kind of tapped out the salary and then they realized what was happening. And then I got kind of screwed. Um, <laughs> so then I left there and then I went to cars for a little while and mm. then now into the real estate. So, and that's the trouble with those big box gyms. It's because you're you're working in the fitness industry and you hope that it is about helping people and being positive, but it turns into hard sales. Like that's what it ends up being is getting people in the door, not caring if they're going to show up and just collecting their membership. Um, yeah. And yeah, it's we're kind of sad. Um, yeah. I, I like, I, I, I mean, I did help a lot of people. I had a large following and like I trained people and stuff too. Oh, cool. um, but yeah, when it, the emphasis really became more of like, I mean, gyms are the only business that they capitalize on not returning customers, right? Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> they want people to not come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because ultimately, like, the amount of memberships they have, the uh, facilities can't accommodate those numbers. They fully intend on people not ever coming back. Um, and so just in align with my goals, and I didn't feel like morally or ethically right about it, and it just so it wasn't a good fit anymore. But, yeah, yeah, so and then, and then so you had that there and, and working in, it's good you're still using those degrees and that and that 
uh, knowledge base that you've built as a professor. Um, and you, you have a really large range of like athleticism in your background as well, right? Like what was your upbringing as far as an athlete? Like currently you're part of the, the Spartan pro team. What, what, like, what were your accolades last year? You finished, you had some good finishes in Tahoe and the, and, and the mountain series. You did a bunch last year. I did a, yeah. I did a bunch. Um, yeah, no, I, I had like nine overall podiums. Um, and then I, um, I was sitting in eighth in the Mount or in the U S national series. And then I got hurt in Utah and didn't finish that race. And then um, I came back on a bum ankle and sickness, finished the mountain series. I was second overall in the mountain series. And then I got seventh in Tahoe. At nice. So yeah. Nice. Did you have to miss West Virginia? No, I ran West Virginia. I West Virginia was a, a rough one. So after Utah, then the two weeks later was the next mountain series race. And I had hurt my ankle. They thought I had an avulsion fracture and I had to go to like the ER and stuff. It was a shit show. Um, but uh, I didn't. There's damage though. It's still messed up. It's not right to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes forever. Cause you just use it so much. It takes so long for something like that to fully feel like good. Yeah, it was kind of not good. And then I got strep throat. And then I went and ran the Colorado race with strep throat and a bum ankle. And I just had to finish it to keep my spot. So I, I kind of, at that point, Amanda had the lead on me and I couldn't, I wasn't gonna be able to catch her. So right. it was just a matter of surviving. <laughs> um, so I did that. And then after that, so that was a survival race. Then West Virginia was after that race. So I did do West Virginia. I didn't do very well because I was scared. <laughs> West Virginia was more of a, okay, let's get our feet back under us before Tahoe and get some trust back in this ankle. So that was what that was about. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> and so all things considered, and this is a season so long that it's, things are like bound to happen that way. And then when you're in all these different series and like, you're kind of obligated to go to these different races, it's, it's hard to really give your time, give yourself that time to just back off. Um, yeah. But that's where you currently uh, came from. But you came from like, so you, how many sports did you play in high school? Oh yeah. Uh, five. Five. So I graduated with 20 varsity letters, which is stupid. Is that a record? Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think they keep track of stuff like they that. Don't. Wish, they, they, they did it in my high school. They kept track of that. Oh, I don't know. Maybe somewhere somebody wrote it down. I, my it's a record. Was, We're calling it a record. Call it a record. Officially unofficial. Unofficially official. Something like that. Something. <laughs> um, no, uh, um, I went to a really small school. So I actually went to the same school my grandpa did. His picture was on the wall above my locker my senior year. Um, <laughs> in a tiny little like mountain town in Western Oregon. There was only 86 people in my high school and 12 in my graduating class. So we were really small. That's why oh I did my God. So. Oh, so you could, do, you could do all the sports. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I ran cross country and I uh, ski raced and played basketball and ran track and field. And I was a cheerleader. Nice. Count, those, those count as varsity letters. Yeah. They do. They do, actually. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um Cool. Yeah. And I, and I knew that the downhill skiing is, was part of your background. And I've actually talked to a couple of like some of the top athletes in OCR that have these more or less, less traditional um, sport backgrounds with something that's like a, an extreme sport or, or, of that nature. So like, do you find that you, that that skiing has given you um, some positive skill translation from like skiing to obstacle course racing? Yeah. In a different way, though. So I grew up not racing like for my school. I grew up racing for 
so I, I'm from Western Oregon, um, Vermont Bachelor, so my Bachelor of Ski Education Foundation, and actually two of my teammates then are on the U.S. ski team right now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So um, they, like, it was a discipline. Uh, you know, I was, after going to school all week and then basketball practice, a cheerleading practice, then on Friday nights or Saturday mornings, we would be driving to Bend, and then I would train all day Saturday, all day Sunday, and then we'd drive back Sunday night, and I'd be back at school on Monday morning. Like, it was a lot, and I was young, right? So I was, you know, preteen, um, and even young, well, I started younger than that, probably like 10 or something, I don't know. Um, and uh, I, in terms of like, a, yeah, it made me really strong, like mm. really, really strong, but I think the discipline is what it really taught me a lot, and I spent a lot of time, like, I was really independent. Like, we would go um, and spend, like, weeks at a time with, you know, a group of 14 girls in a condo in Mammoth Mountain, California, racing for a week and then come back. So like I was, and my parents weren't there. So I kind of learned like the independence and, and what it really took to be great pretty early. I see. So you don't necessarily think it's a a skill transfer. It's more about like a dedication. And like you said, a discipline thing to see how hard work pays off. Yeah. Well, I think both like, yeah, skill transfer in terms of like, I'm able to adapt like strength wise. Like I have ridiculously strong legs and that was probably a lot from that, which is what makes me a better hill climber versus, you know, like a flat course runner. Mm-hmm. Um, but that can be trained at the same time. But I think in terms like the mental fortitude it gave me is probably the most advantageous thing I gained from that. That's interesting. I wouldn't have considered that. So it's cool that you've thought about that and have that perspective on it. Do you, do you currently do things that do you find that that, mental fortitude that you produced just sticks around or do you continuously try to like foster that? Uh, yes. Yes. indeed. Um, <laughs> both of those. So I think like I'm, that's just the kind of person I am though. Like that's what my parents were um, very, very driven people. Um, my dad, especially. And uh, he kind of like, you know, it's it, genetic. And then, you know, as a child, you model those behaviors and, my dad and I are pretty close and I look up to him a lot. I mean, both my parents, obviously, but um, I think that, but it's still a work in progress. Like, you know, we all have weak moments. Um, we all have like before this, I said I was at a computer already. Uh, I was on a Skype session with my sports psychologist. So like the more I can hone in those skills and the better I can get at them, I think the better of an athlete and person it's going to make me not just athlete, but like a human too. And it, those are things that are really important to me. So um, it is always a work in progress. Just like you have to keep running or you lose your aerobic fitness, you know, you have to keep exercising it. There's always so there's always more. They can always scale it. It's like infinitely scalable. Like there's no end to what that discipline or that mental fortitude can be. You're, you'll never be at the top. Like there's no, no. there's no peak for that. Right. Um, well, and I think that's what's so great about it too, is like there, there's no such thing as perfect in anything. Like there's always something to keep being better at. And I love that. Mm. <laughs> And like the mental aspect, it has to be so much, there's probably so much to discover. Uh, And do you feel like that people, this is something that's lacking in people's training that you can tell, or like, how would you help someone kind of foster this in themselves? Like if they, like, cause I feel like people either think you have this type of toughness and discipline or you don't. And then they just kind of go out and race day and just do the best they can. And they don't really even think about it. Like, have you ever tried to like help people with this? Yes. Um, so no, I definitely like, 
I think some people are naturally more inclined to have that than others. Um, but you know, it's like on a spectrum, it, it, you're, you lie somewhere in the middle of that. Um, but I do think it could be a learned skill if you put focus on it. So like, for example, um, I won't use her name, but she'll listen to this and know I'm talking about her. Um, <laughs> so one of the people I do coach, she was, she's an age group racer. Um, and she was, you know, she wants to be good. She wants to be competitive. She, she is, but at the same time, like we're working on increasing her fitness, increasing strength. Like there's so many little aspects in terms of physicality that we're working on, but also one of her biggest like ailments coming into the sport was that she didn't believe she could push herself as hard as she can. And right now we're kind of in the process, like as we're working on the physical stuff to apply those concepts, like, okay, during these workouts, I can push harder and that's what it should feel like in a race. Like, so she can now like differentiate those things because I mean, there's a big difference between being uncomfortable and being in pain. And if you want to get better, you have to be uncomfortable. And she's kind of slowly starting to figure that out and it's great because her performances are getting way better because of it so and it's not like you can just explain it to her you know because like what you feel yeah. what you feel is not like it might be the same but it's probably different in how it's perceived so what what are, so some of the practices that you do in particular are just like during this be mindful when it starts to feel like xyz or is it strictly within training or are there things that you find help like outside of training Yes, both of those. Um, so I, like in the last couple of years, I've definitely put a lot more emphasis in my own training too on like the mental aspect because like I have the physical skills. There's yeah, there's things I can work on. But for me, I think the one thing that's going to benefit me the most is the mindset and preparing my mind to be great. Like I have an agenda and I am I want to execute it. And I think that's one of the things that I can get the most benefits from. Um, so yeah, but that was a lot of words, um, to like in her example. Um, yes. So like about like setting intentions for every workout. Um, and I've told her this, like go, like there's so many things that you could focus on. She's like, I want to be better at this, 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 this. I'm like, well, yeah, we all do pick one thing. That's the one thing you're focusing on today. Make that your main focus, no matter how deep or how superficial it is. That's it. That's what you're focusing on. Um, and then I also like, she gives me a lot of feedback and stuff. So we, we talk a lot. Um, and she's also, you know, one of my friends at, now, um, but, yeah, uh, good relationship. Yeah, exactly. So she, like when she tells me that certain things didn't go a certain way, like I, I help her kind of reframe those things to make it more positive or how can we work on it? And to also remember to be patient. It doesn't happen overnight. And then I gave her this tool. I actually have it for myself too. Oh, I left it my other one in the other room, but, um, I gave her a journal and her job before every workout is to write down her intention. And then afterwards, like reflect on that. How did it go? Name three things you want to change and then end with three things you did great because mm. we're still like refocusing all that. And I do the same thing. Like I'm looking at all these words in here. Um, <laughs> and I have it in front of me. I take it like everywhere. So, um, just being like more conscious of, those things and having the awareness is the beginning part of making those adaptations. So it's just a few tools. I don't know if I answered the question. You did. And I love the idea of journaling <laughs> and that it's something that you do as well, because th this is also something that I've tried to really put a focus on um, this year a little bit more is really honing in that focus. And it takes work. You can't yeah. just like this year, I'm going to be, I'm mentally going to be more aggressive or I'm mentally going to be tougher. Like you have to have some sort of, 
system in place and something that's actionable. Um, so I really like the idea of having the, um, the journal. Is that a lot of what you do in your own practice as well? Like, do you do, you, is this, do you do that for every workout yourself or you do that kind of like a weekly or daily type of thing? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, daily and it doesn't, it's not like a huge invasive process, you know, it's just a couple minutes. Like you could write as much as you want. I think she writes quite a bit. Um, I only, you know, like a few sentences, which is fine it, to each their own, whatever works. Sometimes I don't write it down. I still do the practice in my head, but I don't always write it down if I don't get to my journal or something. Um, but then I do use that very heavily, like for races and performance specific stuff. Hmm. Um, so like before a race, uh, anyone who's roomed with me knows I do this. I need like an hour uh, the day before a race where people just leave me alone. Um, and I put headphones in and turn on white noise. And then I literally take the course map and I run the course in my mind. Um, <clears throat> like uh, go through every obstacle, what I'm going to do, practice everything, like what it feels like. My heart rate gets elevated. So just like, you know, that <clears throat> um, it, visualization. But then after that, what I do looking for my notes here on the last race. Oh, it's a while ago. Um, I write down like keywords to myself. So like, this is what I wrote before the last race. <laughs> I just happen to have this in front of me. Like, like um, two full journal pages, right? Uh, yeah. But I did, I mean, I read it like in like 10 minutes. No, but so, still, like, it's like a good amount of like, there's definitely, you didn't just like scribble. Something maybe, down. Still, oh, no. Yeah. Time. I, this is a lot of thought. And like uh, the emotional connection to it too, because in order for us to ingrain like new pathways and new processes, you have to feel something to it, but it's important to make sure those feelings are in a positive light. So like, yeah. What's an example? Like, would you be like, okay, coming up to this spear, I feel anxious and or confident specific like that or no. Well, kind of. So like, um, it, in terms of like what I write, so I, I go through the race in my mind, like I'm running my own race and then I'm done with that. And then what I do is like, this is like uh, things I need to remember. So I'll read you some of them. So like here, the first thing I wrote was show up. I have everything that I need to succeed. Um, if things don't go the way I want it to acknowledge it, reframe it, and then focus on what's important now. Um, pick people in the moment, stay ahead of them, be adaptable. And then a couple of profanities. Um, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then truly believe that I am tough. I have the grit, like stuff like that, like, uh, like positive reinforcements. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is, that is an awesome practice. And the, I used to do something similar like that. Not, like in high school and college, I would actually draw the map. I would like see it in my head and then I would draw it out. So I, I really could kind of go over it and know how I was going to feel at each individual moment and kind of like really visualize, like you said, I haven't done that for OCR and I really like what you're, and I think this is a good practice, especially in OCR because everything's travel. Like we're going to run a race this weekend and we're going to be in a hotel the night before. So it's a way to kind of like normalize yep. and have like a, a specific practice over and over, which I really like. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned it doesn't have to be like a long practice, but it is about instilling a habit. And when you do anything new, it's about fitting it into your day. So even if it takes like two minutes, it's still two minutes that you haven't. Wouldn't have before. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> So how do you like people do that? Is it something like, like I, when I started doing something similar like this, this year, I just do it before bed. Like I journal for like my own personal life in the morning and then like my athletic life in the evening. Um, is there a certain time that you try to help or what you would recommend somebody to fit this habit in? 
Um, yeah, I cannot do it before bed because if I am in race mode before I go to bed, I won't sleep. Get too fired up. <laughs> yeah, I get like too anxious to too much stuff happening in my mind. Um, so actually, I, I do it usually earlier in the day. Um, you know, like there's if we're traveling and say we're staying in a house with a group of people, like uh, there's a point in the day where there's kind of like a lull. People go get lunch. People, I usually do it during that time when people kind of dissipate. Um, but then, um, after I do this, cause I get like, I, I feel some of the same feelings I would feel in a race. Like my heart rate gets increased. I can see myself throwing the spear and, you know, stuff like that. And so I actually will meditate afterwards for like mm-hmm. five to 10 minutes with like a, just a calmness app, not the calm app, but it's the headspace app. Um, just to kind of like bring myself back down and decrease those cortisol levels and then I can function like an old person again. <laughs> because that would be a reason why people wouldn't do this because it's literally you're putting stress on yourself. Mm-hmm. No, like, it's exactly right. And like when you're doing going through, it's like, well, that was awfully unpleasant. Like, I think I'll avoid that next time. Uh, <laughs> so it's good to have it. Like you're kind of prepped. Okay. Like things are low now. Like, let me get, get into a right space and then kind of backing it with a, a meditation on the back end is a, is a really, it's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise I can't be like that high strung. Like if I don't do it, you, you could tell I'm like, I talk really fast and I'm just like anxious and agitated. So yeah, I have to. So it's kind of like, <laughs> I've heard people ben- give journaling the benefit of that too, like taking their thoughts out of their head and just like putting them somewhere. So like literally writing out their thoughts helps them just kind of relax. Yes. Like, no. Does it have that yeah. effect? get it out of your head kind of well and it, it's more of like a reminder like I know all this stuff but just bringing it more to the front of my mind and then like I'll set like what are my affirmations were that day like I kind of use it as like what do I need to hear right now based on how I'm feeling um and then like I'll set this journal on my race clothes in the morning and I'll read it before I leave to go to the course mm. uh, just to be like okay yeah I remember all these things okay I'm ready you know what I mean Totally. Totally. And that's that's also a really cool practice. And are you thinking about these things? Like you say, you know, these things. And I feel like when we're all out there running or training, like we have so many thoughts to just go through our brains over and over. And are are you capturing these? Are these, are the, is that when these thoughts kind of bubble up to, to the surface or are you journaling on these practices to have them come to light? Um, I mean, okay. So it makes it sound like I'm all perfect and great at this. I'm not perfect, right? It's still a work in progress. But um, yeah, but you have a system, you have something in place. Right? <laughs> yes. So like, just like when things get hard, you know, that's something I worked with a lot in the past couple of years, like with my sports psychologist, like what, what do I need to hear? How do I capitalize on those things? And like, um, so like, so maybe I'm having a rough workout at, so like this morning, for example, I did a harder workout, my last hard workout before this weekend. And I was kind of anxious and I got, you know, like that gross kind of gut feeling in the middle of workout. And then I was like, Oh, I don't feel good. But then like, I know now, like in the past, I would have just kind of been like, Oh, I don't feel good. And that would have been an excuse for a bad workout. No, it was a, no, you don't feel bad. You are having a little bit of anxiety. That's okay. There's race coming up. Like that's normal. What do you need to do right now to execute this plan? And then, so like, so it's more like writing it down makes me become aware that I'm having the thoughts so that I can reframe them to be more positive in the moment when I need it. It's essentially training for training, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, that, I mean, that sounded complicated. But. No, no, I got it. Like, you know, so you know what to do when that moment arises instead of just like hoping that you'll have the wherewithal in the moment to, to recognize, like you've already recognized it, like you put it down. So yes. it's there. So when that emotion starts coming up, you're like, no, 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 I 
I understand what's happening. I got this. I can keep pushing through. Yes, exactly. And that's, I mean, it's taken practice. Like it's been hard. <laughs> so it doesn't just happen overnight. Remember that part. <laughs> For sure. And that's something, <laughs> and it's just like when someone comes to you or comes to find a coach, like how long is it going to take me to reach the podium in age group? Like I'm 10th right now. It's like, uh, a year. I don't know. Like, and so like, there's a long yeah. process for people to get better and faster. It has to be the same thing with this type of me- mental kind of training as well. Right. Yep. Exactly. No, and it takes, yeah, it takes time. Just like aerobic fitness takes time to develop. It takes, you got to put in the work. And when did you kind of seek this out? Like you mentioned you work with a professional did was this uh, like did you get to a point physically where you're like okay like I think physically like I am in a good spot or was it do they both rise together or did you feel like you had to take care of the physical first and then the mental or um there was like a a trigger moment I guess so I had done a couple races and my biggest weakness so I, I ran cross country track in college um, and so I came into this being a runner. So the running part was easy for me. Well, I mean, not easy, but I already had that. Right. So my biggest weakness was like uh, grip strength and upper body strength. And so I put a huge emphasis on that. Like my first, well, I started in 2017, um, in June of 2017. So that six latter six months of 2017. And then the next year in 2018, I was in a super and I found that I was getting really distracted. <laughs> like, in the race, because sometimes in supers, you know, you get out on the trails and there's not a lot of obstacles. Like I'd be like, oh, look at the pretty tree. Oh, look at the bird. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're racing. Like I was, right. I was having a really hard time focusing. Um, and I had ran post collegiately with a team, and I had a girl who uh, had been working with the lady I'm working with now. Um, and because you know our goals were to qualify for the trials, which didn't happen, but uh, whatever. Anyways, um, <laughs> so. I was like, okay, you need to do something different because you have the chops, but you got to get your mind right because that's not going to work. You can't run fast when you're looking at the pretty birds over there. Like, come on. Yeah, I want to appreciate those things. But at the same time, like, I still got to run fast. (laughs) So that was kind of like, I was like, oh, I need to do something different. And you just knew that there was value in a professional and like a coach because I feel like a lot of times people might just grab a book or you know, they would just try to figure it out themselves. How did you know to go right to like a professional? Well, I mean, it's been something I've been thinking about. Cause like we all need help. Right. So like with the agents I coach or coach uh, that we, that work for us, um, they have like, the, uh, my husband and I are there as like a liaison for them. Right. We we're kind of like mentors. The real um, estate biz are back in. Right. Yeah. And then, well, yeah. And I'm like talking all over the place now. Just I'm with you. I got you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but then like I had a coach too. And just because I coach people doesn't mean I don't need a coach. So at the same time, like everybody can benefit from hearing it from a third party. And if I could get better practices to make me more efficient, like a professional would be the one who would help me with that. And I'm not saying that's the best fit for everyone. Books are great. And I read a lot of those too, but <laughs> I've found hands down the best way to learn is through a coach. There, there's yeah. no doubt. And yeah, as a coach, like you have to value coaching or else like, what do you, how do you value your own like product and the thing that you're doing if you won't invest in something else like that? So um, it is good to go to that professional because and then, and then it's that one-on-one, there's nuance to everything that a book can't cover that a, a template won't really um, back on that. 
Yeah. No, one, I mean, just as humans, we learn from each other. That's how literally how we evolved. So yeah, there wasn't books forever. There wasn't always books, you know, (laughs) and and we we made it. Somebody wrote those books. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, well, cool. So, and the mental sides is something like you said, that is really invaluable that you can continue to grow and practice on. And I do think that is something that is missing from a lot of people's and, and as the sport gets more serious and it gets more competitive, this is, I think an Avenue where people should really focus on. Um, but also there is a physical component to the, to, to training and the season is super long now. It's literally all year. And so you seem to have to be very thoughtful and, and have structure in your day to day. So how do you look at like the grand scheme of things when it comes to training? Like how do you kind of project out your entire season with a big, huge question? Um, yeah, that is a big, huge question. <laughs> so, Starting from day one. So on January 1st. Yeah. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I don't even know where to start with that one. Um, that's a big question for everybody. I typically, so I'll start by picking like what races I plan to do. Um, all of them are tentative depending on how the season goes. Right. And then like I have goal races, ones that are more priority than others. And then I, I kind of break it down from there. So like in this case, like our whole year would be my macro cycle. And then my meso cycles would be, uh, leading up to a race. Right. And then my micro cycles stay exactly the same, no matter what. So I do not the same workouts every day, but long runs are always the same day. That kind of the freak, the frequency and the schedule. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I don't run the exact same workout. So <laughs> your macro cycle is one week <laughs> and you just yeah. do it over and over and over. I know, I'm, terrible I'm, sure, I'm sure that happens. I'm sure that happens out there. Yes. Don't do that. Every four to six weeks, you know, change that. Change client. something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, <clears throat> yeah, so I break, I guess I break it. I just break it down into chunks like that. So like, Leading up to this weekend, it, I how what needs to be at the forefront? Like, what's the things I need to be focusing on until then? Then after that, we'll reevaluate. How does the body feel? How much time do we have to recover? And then, so I, I guess I kind of take it one race at a time, but with the overall intention of obviously volume increases, etc., for what's coming. So like, I'm running a beast before Utah, but if I wasn't, like it's later in the season than it was last year. So I don't actually need to beat the hell out of my body in terms of volume just yet. I can wait a little bit because I don't have to run that far just yet. So that helps give me longevity, like my body longevity throughout the season, because rather than just like running myself into the ground unnecessarily, like there's a specific time when that needs to occur. And I know when that is based on my schedule. Based on the Um, macro projections. And yeah. when, so yeah, it seems like it's a l- more fluid and I've kind of found this as well. And I've struggled with that because I'm also track and field cross country background. And like, you would just race through the races. And if you had a shitty race, like you just kept the course. Um, but with OCR, you, you do have to be fluid. It's like, okay, the bucket carry that sucked. So <laughs> d- will you kind of switch things up based off of the data that you got from your previous races? Or is it still like, okay, no matter what, no matter what happened in that previous race, I do have this beast. So I need to do beast training or how fluid is it for you? Yeah. Um, the really, the only thing that I had done, like I trained for a sprint and super the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really not that much different in terms of mileage in my, yeah, they're double, I guess, but that's 
You train for it's a five races. Similar right. how yes, similar to how you train for a 10K. Totally. Um half marathon, that's a different thing. Um <laughs> so I basically I would just increase like my base aerobic volume for that, maybe do longer intervals leading up to a beast, like a few weeks out, <clears throat> or depending on what the race schedule allows for. Uh so yes. Though, like in certain parts of races, like I'll analyze, you know, what did I do poorly? Um, Was my bucket carry bad? Okay, well, I need to start implementing that more. Like certain skills, like uh, last year. So year before that, emphasis on grip strength. I developed that pretty quickly. Um, But then last year, I had a a really hard time with technical downhill running. Mm. So then I started incorporating just like, all the time because that was going to benefit me like turnover in a short race is great. And then also technical stuff on like a beast course. So I started implementing more like agility training and like footwork and stuff like that, just consistently, not just, Oh, I'm going to do a footwork workout one day. Like one time, is not going to do anything? You don't develop the neural pathways like that. Um, So now it's part of just one of the drills I do on my hard workout days. And I do it now every week and I've seen a huge difference. So like, I adapt what I need to do based on skills that I know I need to become more proficient at. Cool. So it's kind of working on your weaknesses and making yourself proficient in those. And is it typically when you're, when you start doing that, do you rely on frequency when it comes to like the grip strength training you mentioned, were you just putting in little doses sporadically or would you do mega like hour long grip workouts and and same with the, the, the downhill, like footwork skill things. It's just something that you put little doses in or do you, do big work. Um, initially a few bigger workouts, but now that I've become better at them, I have just put small doses in routinely, um, to maintain the skill that I have adapt, uh, like established. If that kind of makes sense. It definitely does. And I know in particular, like strength gains are maintained really easily. Um, endurance gains, somewhat like you still need to keep a, a certain volume to, to maintain those. Have you found that with grip strength and, or with the, the footwork skills? Like how well are those maintained? Is it something that you continually need to grease the grooves or can you do a little uh, bit and kind of hang on? I can do a little bit and kind of hang on. <laughs> yeah. But that also to kind of like talking, you know, to the, everybody else that's different per person. Like I know how my body adapts. So I actually gain strength really fast. Like that's just a genetic trait that I have. Congrats. So I have to be, well, thanks. Thanks dad. <laughs> um, I have to be careful like doing shoulder strokes because if I do them for a week, I'll have no neck. Like my traps will be like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, seriously. I did that in high school once uh, like for basketball season. My dad, my dad used to do weightlifting competitions. So no he had way. A, yeah. Like, he was like Olympic lifts or power lifts. Uh, like, powerless. Nice. <laughs> like, so not like aesthetically look big, just like move a lot of heavy stuff. Yeah. Like a lot. Deadlifts, squats, crushing yeah. weight. That's so awesome. he was just one of those like huge guys, not like looked like bulbous, but just strong as shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we had a gym in our basement growing up. Um, and so dad wrote a workout routine for me. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Shoulder shrugs. A week later, I was like, oh my God, dad, what happened to my neck? <laughs> disgusting. And he's like, oh yeah, no more shoulder shrugs. So I was like, ew, what's wrong? <laughs> you probably got a lot of rebounds that year though. Probably moving yeah. people out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> With my trap. Watch out, they'll poke you in the eye. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So anyways, so for me, like, again, that's knowing what, what each individual can 
what your body adapts best to, right? Mm. Um, I know that I can build mass easily. So I kind of, I had to be careful at the same time um, and keep my aerobic fitness up so that my mass doesn't overdo that. Um, So once I get a skill, I usually can just keep dappling in it. Like, yes, certain things, I still need to be better at technical downhills. I know that, but I'm a lot better than I was. So there's Mm. that. Um, So that's why I keep doing stuff and I'll change it up. Like I don't always do the same skill sets every time. Like I, I change what types of drills and stuff that I'm doing. And so. you're doing like speed. Cause like downhills, um, <clears> they were like such a disaster for me. Cause yeah, the cro- I live in a city that like cross country is like nothing like track and field uh, literally don't have to have to worry about where I step at all. So that was I, like some work. So are you just doing downhill running as much as possible? Or do you do like speed, speed ladder stuff? Or are you doing like single leg hop type of drills? Yes. Again, I'm answering all your questions, but yes, yes, they are all of it. So uh, running like downhill reps, uh, a lot of that was just a matter of like learning how to move my body. So like, you know, keeping my pelvis tilted forward and tightening up my core so my back doesn't like compress. um, And then just keeping my center of gravity over the top of my feet, like certain things like that I had to actually practice on a hill. But in terms of like just turnover and getting my feet to move, like uh, agility drills, hops, lateral hops too, because you know, coming from a track and field background, you ran in a straight line, essentially. Well, I mean, it was a circle, but it's basically a straight Pretty line. straight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's nothing you have to really worry about stepping on. So then if you translate that to running on, like, scree, now you have not only is your foot moving, like, front and back, but you're moving, sat- like, sideways, too. So you have to be able to stabilize in, like, every frame. Um, and so it doing all of those things and moving your bodies in different ways is way more vital. For sure. And that's something that it, it just does get exposed. And what have you found was more difficult when you first came in? Was it the grip strength that was really glaring or, and then, then you're like, okay, I got that covered because when your grip strength sucks, like you do burpees. So you're like, okay, if I'm not doing burpees, like I'll be better. And then once you stop doing burpees, like, Oh, okay. Like my downhills kind of suck too. People that, I'm up with now because I'm not doing burpees are losing me on downhills. Yes. Is it a continuous progression that way? Just trying to pick off your weaknesses as you get better? Yes. I think, and that's kind of like, like I said, in the moment, what's the biggest thing that can make the biggest benefit for me or make the biggest difference in terms of performance. So coming in, it was definitely grip strength. Um, I mean, I could survive, but it wasn't great. Mm. Uh, so that needed a lot of work. And then once I got that, downhill, I did notice like I would beat people up hills, but then people would just fly by me downhill. And I was just like, ah, why are you moving so fast? Slow down. This is so scary. I don't, I don't like this. Oh my God. What if I fall? (laughs) Um, So I had had to work on that. And then, uh, yeah. So like every time I see like where I'm getting past, like I, that's one thing like running, I think running elite versus age group, you know who you're racing against and you know if you're getting fast <laughs> because mm-hmm. there's nobody else on the course. Um, so like recently I noticed that I'm not, don't tell anybody this. Okay. This is awesome. <laughs> recently I noticed that I'm not as fast at the bucket, especially the bucket. Now that we've changed how we carry it, I can the same pace if I hold it in front of me or on my shoulder. Oh, are so, you? What, yeah. Are, is, the, is the log carried? trouble for you then too no i just run and let it bounce on my neck and it hurts really Why, bad. I, i'm trying to figure out the bucket too like once the bucket yeah. went up i haven't been awesome what do you right. think is going on like what do you think it's just I reps i don't know the answer i think that so like with the sandbag i wrap it around my neck like i'm faster at the sandbag than i am way faster at the sandbag than the bucket which is so weird um 
it's not weird. I, I guess I kind of know why. I think it's because like the sandbag then like comes around your neck. So it's actually closer to your center, center of gravity. So you can like pull it your, tight too. And yeah. And you can pull it tight to your body and still run with the bucket. We had it close to our center of gravity in front of us, but you were limiting your hip and like leg range of motion. But now when you put it on your shoulder, it's so awkward and the weight is not distributed the same way as like the sandbag is. So for me, it's been a matter of like, how do I adjust like my body and hips to keep my body pushing forward instead of just like getting stuck? Mm. Have you messed with like, like I've seen people kind of hold it with the bottom forward and the top forward and kind of, I've seen people kind of put it over their shoulders, which doesn't seem great, but I haven't tried it. Have yeah. you noticed a mechanical advantage one holding it one way or another that you can kind of get that forward center of gravity um, moving? Kind of. So I've had it, I've started holding it forward. Like you just said with like the, the bottom of it a little bit further forward facing. The, bottom, the bottom's forward. Yes, but oh. I'm petrified that the top's going to come off. Oh, my God. What I'm a disaster dump, that would be. Yeah, and I'm going to dump rocks everywhere. So I don't want that to happen. But you can't – the problem with that is when you're holding it with two hands, you can't move your other arm to move your body. Like, if you try to run with no arms, you it's you look ridiculous. You can't, right? <laughs> um, so you have to, like – then, yeah. And then I've tried adjusting it, like, holding it on my back and then holding it against myself, and that's just, just heavy – and cumbersome. I'm still working that one out. Yeah, it's it's you almost have to do it that way just so you don't tax your grip as much. But I haven't yeah. necessarily thought it's been faster, and I, I guess I still need to practice with it as well. No, I don't but think it's faster just yet. I've been I've been um when I do my carries, like I live in an, uh, an apartment complex and we have a gym in the basement, and I have a bucket down there. And the other day, the the lid was like coming undone, and I was like, oh my god, if this lid burst inside my apartment. I'm oh, going to get evicted. I'm going to be, gonna be <laughs> out of this place. Yeah. And you don't want to do that in a race either. That'd be real bad. And I'm scared of that happening. Guys. I've seen people do that where like you drop it and then the pop, it pops off. That'd be terrible. And will they just yeah. make you do it again? Is it like the old school rule? Like if you spill your rocks, you got to. Yeah. I think you have to pick it up and then redo this, redo it. So like, what if you're almost to the end? That would be terrible. <laughs> I would, I wouldn't finish. I would, no, I would just throw <laughs> a temper tantrum. <laughs> I would. Um, but then I'd, I'd be real mad. I'd be Definitely mad. And make sure everybody knew what happened too. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> there would be an Instagram story about how I was screwed. But <laughs> and then I would take you on my like phone and show you where the rocks spilled. <laughs> I'd be like, "All right, cool. We get it. It's no, no problem." <laughs> um. Cool. So, uh, when you first like start, like we talked about working on weaknesses a lot. So. In your experience, when you're taking on athletes or you're talking to some newer athletes or people who do want to make that jump, like what are some things that you really want to put a focus on right from the jump? Like to bump from age group to elite, you mean, or just just in like yeah, I guess like in the gen- in in general, when like what moves the needle the most in your opinion across the board for people? I know like it's going to vary person to person, but like what are some things that you really want people to kind of like focus on for yeah. You know, so I do think, yeah, it depends a lot on the individual. Um, and then like, do you, what your training background is like, do you have any running background? Um, so the run is probably the biggest thing that makes the biggest impact the fastest, uh, then grip strength. And then I would say like the mental aspect, because I mean, it's hard. Um, I put a lot of emphasis on that myself and maybe I'm beating that to death, but, um, it's a hot, ha- it's hard. That's why we do it. It challenges us. So like being able to capitalize on that and like really push yourself is where you're going to make the biggest gains. Like 
ultimately it's a matter of who's willing to suffer the most and whoever is, is the one who wins. Right. And like, there's definitely a physical part to it, but you, you have to be able to back it up. Like when, cause like you said, once you mentioned actually in your journal, like don't focus, I don't remember the exact words, but it's like, don't focus on what went wrong. Like this is your race right now. Like be, be present here. Yeah. And, and that takes practice and that takes wherewithal. So I'm glad that you mentioned that like within the top three things, cause most people wouldn't, most people would just be like, yeah, grip strength, then climbing, then regular strength and running. So that's really cool. And when you, when you kind of made that jump or when you've seen people like really focus on this, um, like is, are, are those benefits tangible? Like you're like, okay, once I really started to focus on here, I saw my results go from here to here, or was it just or like, how did, like, how did that whole process go on? Yeah. So I think it's more of kind of like a self-reflection in a way, because it, the, the more you're willing and able to push yourself, the more you'll trust your body at the same time. So like, as humans, we have, our bodies can do crazy things. The only thing that really holds us, not the only thing, but one of the main things that really holds us back is our ability to believe that we can do that. Like we're freak athletes, like on a primal level as human beings, they just, we just are, we were built as hunter gatherers. Our, our whole like biology is built off of being able to outrun animals like our endurance outlasts animals so we could kill them and eat them (laughs) so we eat them and keep going yeah yeah exactly like that's how it used to be so like a lot of like in as society has evolved and as we have evolved like we take because everything's so easy now we take that for granted so once you like once you can push yourself to that point and realize that you are capable of more things that I think it pays dividends because then you're like, okay, I can do this harder workout. Okay. That harder workout. And that makes me physiologically this much better. And then, okay, now I can do that. Also that harder workout. And that makes me that much better. So like being able to believe that you can do it makes it so the physiological adaptations come more natural because then you think you can actually do those hard things. So you think it's more of an, uh, like the byproduct of us not believing that we can do it is because we're comfortable all the time. Yeah. A lot of times. And like, and there's a really fine line. Like you have to, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. And you hear that as like a cliche a lot, but, but it's true. It, and when you realize yeah. it, like, Oh, okay. I get it. Yes. I mean, cause in, as endurance athletes, that's, that's the whole point. Like you're training yourself to be okay with hurting. And so the deeper you can go into that, the better and you're going to get, the more your body's going to adapt and the, the stronger and better you'll be performance wise. So and do you see people like defeating themselves? It's hard to tell, right? Like, cause you never really know what someone's thinking and you really, and you can kind of infer like what's going on or based off of their workouts and then their actual performance. But is there something that these, that athletes are doing from a mental practice that you just wish that they would just stop doing? <laughs> yeah, but I'm guilty of it too. Yeah. And that's what I was gonna say, or something in your own experience, because like you can speak to it more than um, you can speak to someone else. Yeah, just like second second guessing myself, I guess. Um, because like I have all the skills, right? And people who have been training, they have all the skills, or they're working on getting all the skills. So it's just a matter of like reminding yourself that because the biggest thing that plays a game in your head is your head all the time. Like it's the one who it's the one, like it's a separate being. Um, <laughs> but it's the part of you that like makes you question things, it makes you second guess things, it makes you develop all these psychological stressors that aren't necessarily real. And then you sit there and perseverate on them. And then it is deterring because then you're like, you start to believe it. So you have to change that to, to be a positive, like 
reframe it to be more positive and useful. So like you can't just ignore that it's there because yeah, we have apprehensions and stuff, but you got to figure out how to like turn that off. Yeah. And, and in my experience, (laughs) I've like in the past, I would just try to like stifle something be like, no, like that's just not happening. Like, but I also, I feel like that's also not a great use of it, a, a great way to approach things because the thoughts are still real, but they are still thoughts, right? So I yes. ultimately have the control and, and recognizing, okay, this is just a thought. It doesn't mean anything. It doesn't make anything real. So how, how do you go about like kind of reframing things or how, how would you suggest someone does that? Um, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so the thought is still a thought, like it's still there. The thought, just because it's not real, doesn't mean it's not real. That makes sense. Like the psychological (laughs) stressor is still stressing you out. So it's still an issue. Um, I think it's a matter of like, you just have to sit with it for a second, like acknowledge that. Yeah, maybe I feel that way, but then think about like, is that actually my reality? And then you kind of rationalize it. Like, I don't think suppressing it is the best way because it's still there and it can still nag at you. So you have to just think like, okay, if I'm feeling anxious about this, yes, I recognize that. Why am I feeling anxious? Because I have, the race is coming up. Then, all right, that's fine. I'm feeling that way. But is that really true? Or what's the reality now? What's important now? And so then you you have to definitely acknowledge it for it to go away. Mm-hmm. The biggest thing is it kept catching it first so it doesn't get out of control. Then acknowledge the feeling. Then you reframe it. And that's mm. just like simple CBT therapy. <laughs> but in actual practice. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And and that's really good to at least have those thoughts and just being able to kind of practice that because it really is just going to be a matter of trying it. Um, Cool. Well, I I think that's really going to be helpful for a lot of people when it comes to the mental aspect and because it is so important and that's something that is definitely missing from a, a lot of language that people are using, you know, like go big or go home, go hard every day, like push, push and like, breakthrough barriers like it just doesn't happen that way you know no definitely not and like it sounds like great in theory but you actually have to apply the concepts to make it real right so like whatever it is for you that works like it sounds great you know oh well i'll just be less stressed uh, yeah that sound that's not that easy yeah right? <laughs> so being like becoming more mindful of when that's happening for you i think is the biggest thing and that's like the first step to actually changing it Mm. And that's where the journaling and, and the meditation, both those things that you mentioned that really are kind of practicing that. Yeah. Um, cool. So for you on your end, what, what are some of your goals this year? What do you, where are you going to be? Do you, you get, what's like your macro tentative plan looking like right now? Okay. Yeah. So some stuff. Um, I got to, I'm planning on doing the U S national series and taping my ankles each time. So I don't get hurt in the ankle region. How uh, <laughs> I know uh, Ian talks about taping ankles. He swears about it. I've never done it. Like, is it really um, helpful? Oh, Ian. Um, I love Ian. Ian's actually one of my good friends. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that, for multiple reasons, I think. So, like, it helps because then you're less prone. You can still roll your ankle. But it also kind of gives you, like, a feeling of, like, invincibility. Just so confidence. Yeah, you'll be more aggressive because you're like, oh, well, I have that extra assistance. And you do. So, that I think that definitely helps a lot. Are you going to do it for Jacksonville? Like a race like that? Probably. I'm petrified now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a, you definitely turn your own, like, especially going through water, there's a lot of water on that. You could easily, you don't know where you're going. Yeah. And I do like a pretty minimal tape job. So it's not like huge cumbersome, like you're going to go play a basketball game situation, like uh, a mulligan technique and then just a light layer of regular athletic tape and then 
tall socks to cover it up so it doesn't come off. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I might try it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so U.S. National Series, did you um did you resign with the pro team? Yes, I did. Nice, congrats. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I haven't posted about that or anything yet. That that whole thing. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that part. It's um, it's been beat <laughs> beat to death, and and I get it, death. but whatever. <laughs> um, it'll be cool to be out there. Yeah, I just want to. I just want to race. Totally. Yeah, and that's that's the deal. Are you going to be uh, at the media day? Uh, yeah, I'm cool. planning. On that. Yep, I'll be there Saturday, and then yeah, I don't know what all is going to entail in that. So <laughs> it'll be fun. Yeah, I'm. I'll be there at like three three ish. I'm getting in that day. Are you getting in Saturday? No, or I'm getting Thursday. Thursday. Nice. Yeah, well, kind of. Getting to the East Coast from where I live is a real pain. Gotta be forever. Um, it has to be like the longest flight ever to Jackson. Yeah, and then you lose two hours. So uh, it's like I have to go to Seattle. So I'm in Boise, Idaho. So then I have to go backwards to Seattle, and then I'm going forwards to Jacksonville, and I don't get until midnight Thursday. So it's basically Friday. No. Uh, yeah. So you better off getting in there, getting in early. Yeah. Um, so U.S. National Series. Uh, any uh, any other series you're going to take on? I'm thinking about the Canadian series because it's cheaper mm. to fly there than to fly to the East coast. Nice. That'd be cool. Right? Actually, it is. It's like, well, don't tell people that. <laughs> and there's money there now too. Like it's like legit money up there. Right here. And there's only three races. So, and then a few other like closer ones, like I'll maybe do the later Seattle. It just kind of depends. Um, but yeah, those series. And then Tahoe, I actually love the Tahoe course. Um, I've done really well there. It's treated me well. I like that it's freezing cold and people just shut down. <laughs> <I'm not laughs> is, Bo- is Boise at altitude at all? What, how high is Boise? Uh, like 2,800 feet. Oh, not really. So not really. Um, well, cool. Any interest in like the DecaFit High Rocks situation? Oh, yeah. I think I might go to Denver and try Deca just for funsies. So I used to be an 800 meter runner and miler. So those 500s sound pretty awesome to me. Mm-hmm. What did what'd you used to uh, run the 800 in? How uh, fast? Yeah, what was your PR? Uh, 209. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's going to be rolling. Like that, you'll be hard to handle. What do you think you could do like a 5K <laughs> in right now? Uh, I don't – honestly, like my least favorite event is just a true 5K. It's so painful. It sucks so bad. It sucks, <laughs> it so, sucks bad. so bad. I would rather run 2800s as fast as I can. <laughs> 5k <laughs> um, yeah ew uh so that's what i really like about the sprint is there's obstacles so i can do something else for a couple seconds <laughs> um i don't know uh garmin says like 1730 or something but nice. i have no idea i haven't ran to 5k i my pr is like around there so i'm I'm probably in better 5K shape than 800 meter shape just because I've done a lot of sprinting. But yeah, you got to stay sharp with 800. You really have to turn it over. And you can't do that for a long period of time either. So. And like it, it doesn't, it's not going to translate. Like if you're good uh-uh. at 800, like it's a two minute something more race. Cool. Like, yeah, yeah, great. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I think DECA is going to be a lot like a 5K kind of feel from what I understand. Like um, I talked to the one guy, Jack Bauer, he like piloted it. And oh, he yeah. was like, it was so hard. He w- he said it was crazy hard. Really? I Just how, fast, how fast was he running? I know his overall time. I asked Yancey. Yeah. Um, he said he was running like in the, in the six, like pace is like 16 something for the five. I forget exactly. But he was, he was trying, he was running as hard as he could. And he's fast. fast. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
but he said the feeling was like an all out 5k Ugh. yeah <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing to slow you down like even like the weight stuff is light so um that'd be fun you can lay down for a minute with the uh sit up yeah those are weird um, yeah <laughs> but at least you can rest for a second and any big goals you want to share? Like, what do you think, what do you want to accomplish on this? You don't have to, if you don't want to, but if you want to put it out there. Uh, um, yeah, I, uh, I have an agenda. Um, let's just say that I'm really sick of playing second fiddle. So I expect some big things from myself. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, nice. that's my mind. That's what I told myself in my workout this morning too. When my hill repeats got tired. Or when I got tired in my other And that's one thing, you know, because I, I feel I share similar things like, okay, I want to make this next jump, right? But like, when you haven't done it, it's hard to like, know what that's going to take. And it's kind of like this unknown area that we have to kind of explore into, which right. is also this like mental aspect. It's not that we you are like, we don't know how to win races, like we've done that. But like, yeah. doing it at this level at this competition, like, I don't know what I don't know what it's gonna be like, I don't know what it's gonna take. So and I think that's why I have a lot of emphasis on the metal, mental aspect because, like, in order to do what I want to do, I have to believe that I can first. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's like the trust factor. It's hard to trust something that you've never done, but you have to cultivate it somehow, and that, that seems to be what you're doing. So. It's happening. I'm excited. I'm excited for you. <laughs> we'll we'll see in a couple of days. This is actually going to air probably after that, so we'll know by the time people listen to this um, <laughs> how everything went. Um, yeah. Cool. This was awesome. Really, it's going to be super valuable, and I appreciate you popping on and uh, um, giving us all this great value. So, yeah, thanks for having me. For sure. So, for.